Today's episode is sponsored by Expectful, a guided meditation and mindfulness app for your fertility, pregnancy, and motherhood journey. It's easy and fun to use as well as affordable. And did you know that science shows meditation can reduce anxiety and improve your relationships? Head to expectful.com slash motherbirth for an exclusive one month free trial just for motherbirth listeners. Welcome to Motherbirth. We help women awaken the confidence that is already within. This is a space for vivid, inspiring birth stories, meaningful advice from guest experts, and honest exploration of what it means to become a mother. Hey everyone, welcome this morning to Mother Birth. Um, Laura and I are here and we are interviewing someone very special. It's actually our first time actually talking, but our guest today is um, in many ways a big part of uh, what has inspired us in this world and me particularly as a mother who has experienced loss. And as many of you listeners know, this month is actually Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month. So today, October 1st, we are kind of kicking the, um, we're kicking this month off with a really, really special conversation with Dr. Jessica Zucker, who founded the I Had a Miscarriage campaign. And that's something you guys have heard from us about over the last um, couple of years that we've been doing the podcast, because we really, really admire um, her and the work that she's done and the vulnerability that has been present in her, in her journey and the way she has opened herself up and brought others into that experience with her through some really really unique and powerful, um, messaging and, and even, um, products that she has created. So we're really excited. We've actually been trying to get Jessica on the show. We've had like a number of snafus. We've been trying to have her on the show for about a year. So it's kind of a, it's a, it feels like a, like a really good time to finally, (laughs) yeah, a long time coming and like perfect timing to be finally be having this conversation. So, um, I'm not going to say any more because I've said enough, Jessica, will you introduce yourself? Tell us a little more about yourself. Well, first, let me just say that you just totally made my day and I'm teary eyed from that (laughs) introduction. And thank you so much. I'm so honored to join your community and be a part of your show. And I, so appreciate the fact that you've opened up about your loss and that you're, you know, taking time in October to highlight this really important topic. Mm-hmm. My name is Dr. Jessica Zucker, and I'm a psychologist and I specialize in women's reproductive and maternal mental health and have done so for over a decade. So I specialized in this field clinically before ever being able to relate to the topic personally. Mm-hmm. And then in 2012, and actually, you know, my, my loss was October 11th. And when I experienced my 16 week miscarriage in the context of my home, I was home by myself that day. I had no idea that October was pregnancy and event loss awareness month, actually. Mm-hmm. So it was only a few days after my loss that I just happened to be on Twitter and stumbled upon all of this information and support and realized um, that this was such an important thing and that this was something I was going to get involved in eventually. Mm. Um, So, yeah. So until I experienced my 16 week miscarriage firsthand, you know, I really didn't understand from a corporeal, you know, from a lived perspective, what I had been specializing in for all these years. Mm. And 
ever since my loss, I've just been inspired to dive into writing about all aspects of loss, um, you know, and, and as you said, you know, creating various things that could support people after pregnancy or infant loss. Hmm. So like you said, you had never personally experienced it before you went into this field. What kind of inspired you to go into it initially? Yeah. So I was inspired, uh, as an undergrad to, you know, dive into psychology and got really into women's, you know, reproductive and maternal mental health as I, uh, journeyed into the public health arena. So I spent a year on a social service program in Israel after college. And though I was interested in pursuing psychology, it sort of opened my mind up to this kind of community level aspect of health and healing. And so I pursued my master's degree in public health initially and worked internationally in women's reproductive health and rights. And so after pursuing the PhD, my vision, my hope anyway, was to somehow marry all of my interests in my clinical practice. Mm -hmm. And so it was, again, you know, sort of a theoretical interest. And I had no personal experience that really grounded me in this until my loss. Hmm. Did you know at that time that you wanted to be a mother? Did that feel in any way related or connected to your desire to, to work in this field? Hmm. You mean the pregnancy that I lost? No, back, you know, back when you decided to specialize in, you know, perinatal mental health mm-hmm. and that sort of thing was, was, were you aware at that time that you personally wanted to be a mother and did that have any impact on your desire to be in that field or was, was there no connection? Oh, that's a great question. Thank you. I've never been asked that before and I haven't thought a ton about it. Mm. Um, I think I assumed that I would eventually become a mother, but I definitely was not somebody who, you know, um, thought a lot about motherhood until I felt ready. So I think I thought it would, you know, come into my life eventually, but until I met my husband, it wasn't something that I was dead set on, on doing necessarily. Mm. And, and then that leads me to another is something that, you know, kind of comes up in our conversations with women sometimes is, you know, in that work, did you feel personally a deficit because you weren't a mother or was that something that just either wasn't occurring for you or hadn't, you hadn't been aware of at the time? You know, I think it's an important point in terms of thinking about one specialization as a psychologist. I, I don't feel like we have to have walked in the shoes of all of our patients in order to fully understand them. Um, because there's just no possible way that I, that I could, uh, So no, I think I felt like I could really wrap my head and my heart around these discussions, these conversations, the, even the grief without having been there yet. Mm -hmm. But until I was actually there, I I definitely couldn't, you know, feel my way in, in the same, um, in the same way that eventually I did. Mm -hmm. Uh, I guess, I don't know if that's a good enough answer for that. But I, you know, 
It's a great answer, actually. Yeah, I feel like that's the, you know, we talk about this. I'm not a mother. And um, so we talk about it in re- in relationship to what we do as far as like giving voice to mothers in this space. And I'm, you know, almost done with my training as a midwife. And so mm-hmm. it comes up a lot in being a women's health care provider yeah. that, you know, there's this aspect of women's health care that I take a lot of time and energy helping women do that I've never done before. And so exactly. there are people who would say, and there are people who stand on it and say, nope, you can't be a good midwife. You can't be a good doula if you haven't had a kid. And, um, you know, to that, I would say, we have no definition of mother that requires that the baby was grown inside of you and comes out of your vagina or scar. So why then say you have to have that to be able to hold space? And that's what I loved about what you said is that the reality is maybe even more with psychology, we would say, of course you can't experience everything, every patient. You're not going to be an addict. You don't just to be able to support mental mental health is so broad, but really you are trying to interact in the space of finding true really creating space for women to have their own type of mental health. And that's what I, exactly. Carol, Carol Gilligan, her idea was that basically, if you're, remind me if I'm wrong, that psychology was built for men's moral, moral development. Yeah. In terms of moral development. development. Mm-hmm. And then she said, women, of course, are different in every way we exactly. are different. And yep. so I, I think that that makes so, so much sense that it can totally, like you said, I love the idea of it grounding you in the sense of you had a place in the earth for what these women have been experiencing that you care for, but then you also could be with them regardless of your personal experience, which I think is. Yeah. It's interesting because now my work feels emotional in a, in a whole new way than, than before. Like it, it wasn't necessarily like that before. Yeah. And so now when somebody is explaining the moment they learn that the the heart stopped beating or the you know they're explaining, you know, when the baby sort of emerged with no heartbeat or their stillbirth experience. It's like I can my emotion is so there mm-hmm. in a way that previously it it just simply couldn't be because I hadn't undergone that. Yeah, I think it's I think it's so important to be able to hold both of those. Like Laura was saying, like we we know that it, like anyone can be be in this space. Uh, what you know, in, in your case, supporting women on the mental health side, in Laura's case, or in, in my case, you know, it, obviously Laura in in a clinical sense, like really going through this passage of life with women, um, and and then also being able to hold. And acknowledge that, yes, when you had this personal experience, something did shift for you. And there was, I loved how you phrased that, like you could feel your way into it differently. Um, and I didn't do any work with women around loss before I experienced loss, so I have nothing to compare it to. Um, but, you know, I, I can say that the minute I had, I mean, literally the minute I experienced a full-term stillbirth, it was like, the next day people started coming out of the woodwork and, you know, initially it was in support to me, but it did not take long for it to turn to people reaching out to me for support. And, and that was such a, um, like that, that empathetic experience was so powerful to, you know, to have and share something so, so visceral and so, um, I mean, it's so yeah. emotional, but also so physical. There are so many things that, that you, there are a few things that you experience sh- that share that, um, that broadness of the human experience on that emotional, spiritual, physical level. Like, you know, and, and that that's true for that's birth right. and, 
and becoming a mother in general, not just experiencing loss. Well, and that's exactly like, it's like, that's the thing with loss. You have had a baby. Well, in your case, you know, a full-term stillbirth. And in my case, you know, a 16 week loss, like you see, you know, the, the physical baby, your body has been developing this baby. And so after losing it, you are postpartum, Mm -hmm. right? Like you, you experience the hormones of having just given birth because you have given birth. Yeah. What was your experience? Did you, did you complete that miscarriage that day at home? Was it something that was more ongoing? What was your actual experience? Well, I began spotting on Tuesday, two days before my loss. I went to uh, a dermatology checkup and went to the bathroom and realized that I was spotting and was incredibly alarmed. I texted my OBGYN who told me that I could come see her um, immediately after this doctor's appointment. And I went to see her and the heartbeat was perfect. Placenta was in the right place. And, you know, she just asked me some questions. Had I had sex? Had I exercised? You know, just trying to figure out, mm-hmm. you know, why the spotting might be there. And I went home. She told me just to do my life as normal and keep her posted. And the following day, I felt well enough in the morning to go to work. She said I could if I Mm -hmm. felt okay. So I I worked on Wednesday. But on my drive home from work that evening, I began to have what I now understand to be Braxton Hicks. So I started having contractions. And that night I had my friend who's a midwife come over and she checked the heartbeat and had me get into the bath and everything was still great and fine and uh, persisting. And so, you know, it was very confusing. It was very overwhelming because I was physically uncomfortable. I was mentally confused and overwhelmed and like Mm -hmm. scared, you know, and yet, it seemed like everything was okay. So it just didn't, it wasn't, it, it didn't make sense. Lining up. Yeah. So I didn't really sleep that night. My husband was sleeping, but I was actually roiling in pain. And I think I was minimizing it because everybody was telling me like, Oh, nothing's wrong. So I just right. thought like, okay, well, I, I don't, I better get used to this if this is how the rest of the pregnancy is going to go, which my first pregnancy wasn't mm. this way at all. So I knew there was no way that this was uh, something I, I would or should get used to. Um, so you had had a child already? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So my first pregnancy was very smooth, very peaceful, uh, you know, very, very easy throughout, including labor and delivery. So, yeah, I didn't really sleep and I got in the bath first thing in the morning and my husband got my son ready for school and they went off to work and school and I just knew that I wouldn't be leaving the house that day. But I contacted 
the perinatologist to see if I could come in. I was just looking for information anywhere I could get it. Yeah. And mid afternoon, I started to get dressed to, uh, you know, be able to go there. And I now realize I was actually sort of in transition because I felt this, like I was about to maybe have a panic attack, which I've never had before. So I was like, just, I started to have like a cold sweat and Hmm. needed to sit down. So I quickly got myself to my, Oh no. Yeah. And I, so I was like, I need like a cold compress and maybe I just need to pee or something. I just needed to like sit and ground myself and like, just calm down. Mm -hmm. And, but I went to the bathroom and I went pee, but the baby fell out right then. So, um, Yeah, I haven't I haven't felt emotional talking about this in, the, in a long time actually because I'm so used to telling my story. But uh, yeah, so yeah, so my daughter fell out, and I texted my doctor, and she called me and walked me through what I needed to do to stay alive myself. You know, to stay mm-hmm. safe and. Obviously, I contacted my husband who left work right away and came home. So I had to somehow shuffle to get scissors from my bathroom to cut the cord. Um, Mm. And so then, you know, I so I came back to the toilet to do that because she said I would start bleeding right away. so I cut the cord and began to hemorrhage. I mean, just in a way that I've never, I've heard about hemorrhaging. I know yeah. that it exists. I've never, you know, physically experienced this myself. And uh, so I just had to, I just sat there continuing to flush the toilet. I mean, I was just like scared that the toilet would fill so high with blood that like my home would like flood. I mean, it was just, yeah. it was unfathomable. Um, and are you just in, are you just kind of in shock in this moment? I'm in total disbelief. I am physically relieved. Like I'm not in that pain anymore. Right. Cause right. the baby's out and I am like shaking because of, I think probably the hormones and, and the, the overwhelm and the, the bleeding and the shock. And I, I mean, I screamed so loud that I, loudly that I, I, I'm surprised that my whole house made of glass didn't shatter around me. Like, I mean, I've never howled this, I've never heard anything come out of my, my body that intensely before. Um, and I also though, you know, I was like overtaken by action mode. You know, I, I knew I sort of made a decision when I was shuffling my way to get scissors from my medicine cabinet, you know, while holding her between my legs, like that I, I had to survive this. Like I had a child already like this. I could not die here, even though it really felt possible just cause like 
you know, I was alone and this was the end of her life. And it felt, it was just, it was just so fraught and intense. So my husband got home and my doctor luckily instructed me to bring the baby with me so we could test fetus. Um, and so we got to her office as quickly as possible. And I was, you know, hemorrhaging in the car uh, and brought the baby in a bag. Um, and basically, so when we got there, I had to, of course, take my pants off and out came this boulder of blood, which we hoped was the placenta, but that was, it was just a blood clot from our like nine minute drive to her office. Mm. At that point, we needed to make a decision about, do we wait for anesthesiology or do I have an unmedicated DNC right then and there because of the amount of blood loss so that I wouldn't have to have a blood transfusion? Mm. Yeah. And I just decided that there was, I was in so much emotional and physical pain already that, you know, a, an eight minute DNC procedure unmedicated was like not gonna seem worse because, you know, I, I just needed to weigh like whether or not I really wanted to wait for that and and the potential of um a transfusion just you know felt scary in a different way yeah so i had the unmedicated dnc and my friend who's a midwife showed up and met, met us there and luckily she took some photographs of the fetus cuz i i wouldn't have thought to do that mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, I had some smelling salts. I kept like almost passing out from all the blood loss. And eventually I was put into a, a wheelchair and, uh, sent back out, you know? Wow. Yeah. Did you feel like in that moment, you know, that the people who were helping you at the hospital, that they like, did they create and hold any space for your experience or, or was it kind of a more clinical experience that was kind of contradicting what you were going through? Mm. Well, luckily I'm, I'm really close with my OBGYN. And so I went to her office. I didn't go to the hospital. Um, So it was, she did it in her office. Yeah. And her nurse is like, I mean, I, when I see her nurse, I cry every time. And I just had my annual exam last week. And I just think she's like the most beautiful, profound human being in the world because she held my hand through the DNC. And, um, so yeah, I, I mean, it was rushed, right. We were all, they had never seen anything like this before and they, we needed to just do what we needed to do. So it wasn't like we could process what was happening out loud, but I felt very cared for Mm. and very concerned about. And, um, so it, it didn't feel cold and clinical. 
at all to me. Yeah, that like those first yeah. moments are so I feel like they're so critical in establishing the trajectory, you know, of of grief. And they really, Ooh. you know, I've I've talked to and worked with so many women who had really, really traumatizing experiences of, you know, either a care provider's response or, you know, emergency uh, personnel or sure. um, or just that feeling of like already being dismissed. I mean, so much of what we all know is that pregnancy loss is not really talked about. It's, you know, especially if you have a first trimester miscarriage, it's very much like, okay, well back, you know, back to life as usual. Like that's just what happens. And it's not acknowledged. And I, I really feel like those, those initial moments, experiences, conversations are so foundational, um, in, in just how we, like how we start to sort of feel the energy and the, um, the movement around us, um, as we like, (laughs) as we are free falling, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's just, yeah. yeah. Totally. I think that's such an important point. I hadn't thought specifically about that except like, you know, with regard to myself, but yeah, it is why I didn't call, nine one one. I I didn't want sort of like a group of random strangers, probably men like running through my house to get yeah. me into an ambulance. Um yeah. So I just I knew that wouldn't set the stage for anything positive for me. Um, and I do think it's such a difficult like what Melissa said, most people if you have a loss before twenty weeks you are actually not even traditionally cared for by the provider you see for prenatal care. Mm. Um, and most women, the experience of having lost before 20 weeks means you're also going to be going into the emergency room. That's what they'll advise you to do. And being seen yes. there again, kind of like you just said by a bunch of people that don't know you, but also who are not in that space. And mm. I've really actually done a little bit of investigating on this just because I, as I'm starting to provide care myself, I've always thought, I understand why inpatient you wouldn't necessarily go to the labor and delivery department just for lots of reasons that actually could be respectful of women in those moments. Mm. But I, but it is difficult for me that a lot of providers mm-hmm. just don't provide care um, yeah. for loss before okay. then. Be- and it's, it has a lot to do with what people kind of perceive as whatever the age of viability is. Sure. Also, I think to do with how people have segregated women's health care. Some people would not be comfortable doing yeah. what your doctor did in the office. Um, some people don't even perform those procedures outside of a hospital setting. And some people don't perform them at all. And so it's very difficult. I think, you know, I'm obviously very thankful you had that relationship with your doctor, but also yeah. that she had that capability because most providers would have to, you know, in some way, like source you out to have that done and and so you have to go with someone else and so I think it's a really difficult thing as we listen to women's stories about loss is that that thing that Melissa was saying you just kind of get this introduction to like this is a medical thing that's going on with you it's a medical emergency Mm. and And now it's over and you're supposed to be okay I know I don't know how I would have handled that if I had to go if I went to the ER and I just like had somebody random um providing me with the, this information, these services. I, I, yeah, that would have been incredibly unsettling. And you also had your friend that was a midwife helping, you know, also coming alongside you and walking yes. you through this. And, uh, you know, I'm always curious how people who have, you know, 
training in in mental health, in you know, as a therapist, as a psychologist, you know, however however that looks, how those tools kind of serve them as they go through their own grief journeys in life, and I and I'm curious yeah. how you feel that that experience, especially since you had worked with women in this field, how those experiences and that experience, how that affected your own grief transition. Mm. Yeah, you know, I don't think psychologists can apply their knowledge to themselves necessarily. That seems to be the theme. I'm always really curious to hear. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, luckily I, maybe because I already had a healthy pregnancy, I didn't turn to feelings though of shame or self-blame or guilt following my loss. And this is partly Mm -hmm. why I've kind of become obsessed with trying to make a dent in this in culture because a majority of the research, you know, shows that women are reporting feeling this way following loss. And Mm -hmm. so I didn't feel that way. I trusted my body and I actually, I, I assumed that something was wrong with the fetus. And within about 10 days, we did get a call from my doctor and, and that was in fact, what was, what was going on. You know, the, the baby had an extra chromosome. So I sort of, you know, felt this kind of juxtaposition of like knowing and sort of trusting that maybe something was wrong and the baby took care of herself in this case. Mm -hmm. But also, of course, the emotion around this imagined daughter, this imagined larger family. uh, And also just, I was just physically so drained from having been pregnant and then going through those few days and going through the DNC and, and then, you know, I bled for a while afterwards. Mm -hmm. So that, that whole thing was just such a mess um, for me. But yeah, I don't think that the things that I talk about with my patients, I don't know that I was, you know, trying to like Mm -hmm. actively trying to apply them to myself, but I was gentle with myself. I just, I don't think I knew what was going on. And I think a lot of women don't in this kind of whiplash moment of trauma, like Mm. my sister had to convince me. So my loss was on a Thursday. She was like, you need to email your patients and let them know you'll be out this next week. And I was like, well, do I like, shouldn't Mm. I show up for that? Like it was so, and now I look back, I'm like, wait, what? I only, I took one week off from work and then was back here. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, part of what I've written about, I think my second New York times piece was about this very thing that there, there are no textbooks. There are no, not, there's nothing written there's no about sort of the therapist. Yeah. The therapist's pregnancy and the therapist specializing in this and the pregnancy having this later loss because, and I say later loss because my, you know, maybe because of my frame, my body, like it, my, my pregnancy was so obvious. It wasn't mm-hmm. like any patient didn't know at 16 weeks that I was pregnant mm-hmm. So I did have to process this with everybody. And some of these women were pregnant themselves. Some of them were hoping to get pregnant. Some of them had been through the same thing. How did you navigate? You know, so it was. Yeah. How did you navigate that with, with those pregnant women in your practice? Um, it was a lot. It was, I felt 
I felt a sense of, you know, obligation to them to really help them understand that loss is by no means contagious. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I've I've written about that as well, because I mean, there is this sense, you know, and I, I, I use this quote in, in that New York Times piece, like, that, you know, some of them feared that maybe talking to me about their losses or sharing with me about their grief may have infected me or may have caused this Mm -hmm. somehow in my own pregnancy. And of course, I don't know that they meant it literally, but it was really Mm -hmm. important to me to have them understand that like, there's no such thing. And this happened, you know, as a result of the you know unhealth or whatever of this pregnancy and that that's okay you know that in no way do I want to shy away from their joy or their Mm -hmm. grief or the complexity of their process whatever it may be yeah I know because I I yeah go ahead oh well I truly didn't feel a sense of jealousy or envy with any of my patients following my loss because Um, perhaps because I had, you know, like I said, a a healthy child already. So it wasn't like, I I didn't become worried that I wasn't going to have a family or that my body had something, you know, going on that I, that was mysterious or that I didn't know about yet. Um, So I felt very settled in that, that like this was a tragedy in itself. I did my mind didn't travel to far off what ifs it did once I got pregnant again I was terrified that I would go through what I went through again or something different or something worse or something surprising whatever but I I I, my mind didn't go far afield yeah I so relate to what you're talking about with the you know the fear of of contagion uh, such a, you know, contagious uh, is such a good word for it. I remember really feeling like a bad luck charm, you know, that pregnant women wouldn't want to be around uh, me, that it would be, you know, just even, even, uh, you know, putting aside any superstition about like it actually, be, you know, loss or, or, you know, some sort of defect right. being contagious, just this feeling of like, that my presence would make them fearful, that it would make them, you know. And it probably did. Yeah. And that's something that was really hard to address in you know, I mean, you you don't necessarily think about that with every random stranger that you might meet, but, you know, especially with close friends, like it was something that I, I brought up with, with a couple of people. I don't think I brought it up necessarily with, with everyone that I encountered during that time that was pregnant, but there was a couple people that, you know, I really felt like there's this elephant in the room. Like, can we talk about this? Because like, I, I don't want you to feel that way, but I think like, it seems inevitable that you would, like, is this something we can talk about? Um, and I found those Uh conversations to be really, really fruitful in that, in that sense of like, there were times, you know, one friend in particular I can think of, she really, I I feel like she was honest with me in in sharing that she didn't feel that way. And, and in fact that, you know, the, Uh the openness that we had shared all along had, had, you know, really, made it so that that wasn't there. But another conversation I had, um, really, really 
highlighted that there was that sort of tension there and that it wasn't something she really wanted to talk about because she didn't want to think about it. She didn't want to be reminded that this could happen to her, that it can happen to anyone. Um, so it's really, it's really tricky. That's exactly it. Yeah. It's really tricky. It is so tricky. And you, you bring up such an important point about the fact that loss touches so many different parts of our lives. So it's not just us and the loss of this, you know, baby or potential baby. It's like, it impacts marriage, it impacts friendships, it impacts so many different types of relationships in our lives. And, and the way we communicate that or don't is huge and, and can impact the way that we feel in our grief, whether we feel more or less isolated, alone, alienated, Mm -hmm. whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I have a lot of those examples as well, and I it really did change sort of my life lens, I guess, the way that you know I I felt like in getting so intimate with death, I changed remarkably mm-hmm. so in terms of my view, or not even my view, but just my feeling about love and connection and intimacy and communication, and but also like how you show up and, to your life and and like. You know? Oh yes. It really changes that. Yes. Something something that I often work with women on is this, you know, this segregation that happens because, you know, there's the people who have lost babies and and they all feel like, well, we should just huddle over in this corner by ourselves because we don't want to like we don't want to, you know, make everyone else depressed or worried. And then, you know, the people that haven't experienced loss are are not always wanting to like have those conversations with people who have because they don't want to feel fearful or worried. And so we end up like isolating ourselves into these camps. And it's, it's so, it's so counterintuitive and counterproductive to what community looks like. And, and I, I really feel like we actually all need each other. Like the people who've experienced loss actually need to be reminded of the lightness and the joy and the, the carefreeness of the pregnant, of the woman who's pregnant, who hasn't ever experienced loss and is just like, just purely anticipatory. And those women also need to be reminded that Mm -hmm. sometimes shit happens (laughs) and you know, well, that's just it. Yeah. I feel like it's like, Right. I think it's more like we just need to realize that, again, loss is not, it's not like if you sneeze near somebody who's pregnant, that they're now going to have a loss as well. And so it's, it's this kind of like mind game. I I mean, it's, it's a real false sense of security. I think that people are looking for, which again, it totally makes sense. You know, it's like, we are vulnerable in pregnancy. And when we love somebody who goes through something traumatic or something tragic, you know, it, it, it does stir up a lot of fear and I get that. But I also think that we have to try harder to be there for one another and to get rid of these kinds of ways of being that make women feel that much more alone during a time when they need love and connection the most. One thing I wanted to ask you about is that I will say, I think we, we have been really fortunate. I feel like the people in our community really like the guests that we have and the conversations that we have. We don't really get a lot of pushback or you know, negative feedback. I don't, not that I'm welcoming <laughs> that, that, that statement, all that to say the times in which people have said something to us have 
centered around sharing loss and ways that triggered people by. were yeah kind mm-hmm. of offended by or triggered by yeah. triggered is triggered is a much more appropriate word and we have struggled and I wanted to ask you because we struggled with two things I think and Lisa you can kind of chime in too is we want to give women who've had loss a platform that's not contingent upon mm-hmm. offending people so we mm. don't want to pull back from loss and say, you know, don't listen to this episode if you don't want to hear about loss. Because I don't, we don't do that when we say, don't listen to this episode because someone had a C-section or don't listen to this episode because mm. someone had a 40-hour right. birth. And we want to normalize loss in the sense of it is an experience that is experienced by so many women. But then on the other hand, obviously, we don't want to be triggering people to have further trauma. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate a- the fact that you're wrestling with this yeah. because I do think that a lot of pregnancy and birth uh, pages and podcasts and stuff don't include loss as much as it happens. So I think that is an important place that needs to be, you know, investigated. But I get what you're saying, and I think it's a risk that you know one has to decide mm-hmm. to take or not take. Right. So. I think we're always going to, there's always the potential of offending somebody or triggering somebody and those people can then, you know, sign off and not listen. I think it's really like for me, I don't put trigger warnings on any of my stuff, but that's also because my page is all about that. And yeah, (laughs) exactly. And I don't know. I mean, I just did recently did an Instagram takeover somewhere and, and one of their audience members wrote in saying like, there needs to be a trigger warning. And and she was right. And so I added that, but it was interesting because I don't know, I feel like in the world we're living in right now with the amount that we're hearing about sexual assault and postpartum depression and pregnancy loss and suicide. I mean, it's, Mm -hmm. the world world is triggering triggering. and I don't know. I don't know that we need to walk on eggshells about the topics that are actually just as pervasive as healthy outcomes or normative, you know, normal outcomes because pregnancy loss is a normative outcome Mm -hmm. of pregnancy. It just is. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think it just depends on one's viewpoint about sort of how they want to engage with their audience or with these topics yeah, in general. Yeah, it's it has been, you know, we we haven't we have like Laura said had very little pushback. There've really only been a couple of times where you know something we posted or shared on the podcast um you know had that effect and and wrestle is a great word. Like we really have wrestled with it because we you know it, inclusive is is a really tricky word too. It's like okay, we, yeah. we want to be, yeah. we don't want like women who've experienced loss or, you know, any other particular and, and maybe traumatic experience to feel like, okay, well, this is our community and over here's your little corner. Like you guys just stay over there and like, let's put a sheet, like it'll mm-hmm. be translucent. So you can kind of see what's going on, but like, you know, like we don't want that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Like we don't want that to be the experience of, of our community. and yet. And yet you can't not acknowledge right. that loss is Trump. It's trauma. And yeah. it, it, you know, for those who have experienced loss or who maybe have a great fear of that, like that is triggering, um, you know, and, and I, I love that you brought up what it was like to be with women in your practice mm-hmm. after your, after your own loss, especially cause you did that so shortly yeah. thereafter, you know, I mean, it was so, so fresh for you I and know. that, you know, that made me want to ask you as well. Um, 
both as a, as a professional who is, you know, working clinically with these women, but also, you know, having this very personal experience of your own, did you feel, cause I, cause you know, I really believe that we only have so much energetic bandwidth and when it comes to healing, when it comes to addressing, Mm. you know, trauma and, and growth and transformation, all these different things that kind of like all work together, like we, we only have so much output. And when we're constantly managing other things, like, Mm -hmm. you know, when, when anyone experiences loss, they're managing like, you know, that their mother-in-law is reacting poorly and they're managing that their older child is like, well, what, like what's going on? And they're managing that, you know, their boss wants them back to work, but they're like Mm -hmm. not quite ready. You know, you're managing all these other things that actually decrease your ability to, to focus on, on your grief and on your healing, which like is, is so um, yeah. it's such monumental work. And the more things we have sort of distracting us from that, the mm. harder it can be. So did you feel like, you know, sort of having to manage all of these pieces with your patients at the time, did that, did that in any way affect your ability to be present with your own pain and your own grief? You know, I think it helped. And I do, I think because I, I, I really sort of, live for this work. I mean, I just, I love my work so entirely. And it it was sort of an interesting opportunity because, because my work is so intimate Mm. in a genuine way, even though of course I wasn't talking about myself and I wasn't looking to them to help me or anything. I just felt though, like that how raw I was in those initial Mm. days, weeks, months, even only allowed me to be better at this somehow. Like it was very strange. Um, I felt more porous and therefore Mm. more connected. I mean, not more connected, but just more available in an interesting way. Even to like your Um, own emotional journey, do you mean? So it didn't, or more available to, to theirs, okay. to theirs, you know, because not that I look at my work as a job, but when I didn't understand what they were feeling from a feeling place, I was thinking about it. Right. So it's like I was theorizing or I was pulling on knowledge I learned you know, whether it was from textbooks, school, clinically, whatever. And now I was feeling something really deeply in my own body about loss and grief and shock and trauma and tragedy. And so I don't know, I just made me kind of more available. I love that. That's, it's just a really beautiful gift that you were given in that time. Yeah, it was an unforeseeable gift for sure. So this experience really led you to a massive evolution in in what you like, how your work and your passion manifested. Um, can you tell us about that? Can you tell us about like, you know, sort of then to now, like what has transpired for you? Sure. Yeah, of course. So about three or four months later, I got pregnant with my daughter who's now four and a half and was quite 
mm-hmm. anxious through that pregnancy. And let's see, the following October. So October 2014, I decided to pitch the New York Times and launch the I Had a Miscarriage campaign. And so that ran on October 15th, Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Day. And little did I know that it was going to sort of ignite this global conversation and that I would be on an annual basis sort of adding to the campaign or or growing the campaign. And so now every year I focus on a different aspect Mm -hmm. of pregnancy and infant loss, life after grief, um, how people can support them, all of that. Um, every year. So in 2015, I created a line Mm -hmm. of pregnancy and infant loss cards as an antidote to the, you know, sort of frequently expressed sentiment. I didn't know what to say, so I didn't say anything at all. So this was sort of the answer to that. And then in 2016, I focused on pregnancy after pregnancy loss by creating um, Rainbow Mama and Rainbow Babe t-shirts, but really, you know, the, the aim there was to ignite intergenerational conversations around pregnancy loss. So, you know, inviting people to ask, you know, women in their families, their grandmothers, their aunts, their mothers, their sisters Mm -hmm. about their journeys and sort of how that, um, might impact family life and Mm -hmm. community. And then last year, the focus was on questioning this age-old notion of the 12-week rule. So people, you know, are often told by the doctor or the midwife, um, you know, maybe don't share your news until your 12 weeks because then you'll be quote-unquote out of the woods. So I wanted to really sort of get into this idea. What does this translate into? Don't share your good news in case it becomes bad news because then you don't have to share your bad news. And also those of us who know that you're never really out of the woods, you know, is that a realistic idea for doctors or, or, um, you know, providers to be stating to their patients? And Mm. now there's this year. What are you working on this year? So this year, the focus of the campaign is rights, Mm. rituals, and representation. And essentially, I'm looking at this idea that, you know, our culture lacks standardized rights and rituals when it comes to pregnancy and infant loss. And what I'm trying to say Mm. is it's never too late to create your own. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. We're going to have to um, wrap up a little quickly here today. um, And I'm confident we'll have more conversations with you in the future, Jessica. I hope Thank you for sharing your heart with us today, your beautiful story, um, and the inspiration that um, there's just so much that comes with all of this and and how you have navigated that. So thank um, you so much for having me. Yeah. We're excited to share this and the work that you do. Thank you. Thank you so much. It means so much to me. Thanks for listening to Mother Birth. And a special thanks to our editors, sponsors, and guests for this week's show. As always, this show is created by Lauren Melissa and is intended as general information that does not constitute or substitute medical advice of any kind. You should always consult with your primary care provider with respect to your medical care if you are pregnant, planning on becoming pregnant, or in the postpartum period. In this episode, we may use affiliate links to products and services that we know and trust. 
These are products we have personal experience with and believe that they will benefit our community. When you use these links, Mother Birth receives a small commission. What you pay for the product or service doesn't change at all. It's the same price. If we share something that includes a discount code, we may still receive an affiliate commission without affecting the discount offered to you. Thank you for supporting our show. 